You're listening to the Podwhacker Podcast Show, a show with a wide range of topics and new guests each episode with the goal of finding the common ground as we challenge ourselves to understand what makes us different. Prepare to hear stories that inspire and test your convictions. So now that you know the who, the what, and the why, let's start the show with your host, John C. Fuentes. Today's guest is a 28-year-old woman that works in sales. Uh, I met her back in July, uh, but I haven't had a real meaningful conversation with her. And I figured that I'd use my podcast to change that. She is from the Midwest and she has a British accent. So I knew there was a story there. I was very pleased with the conversation. And um, without further ado, um, this is Cass. My childhood was kind of defined by extremes. Um, When I was with my grandparents, um, I feel like that's kind of the the quintessential normal part of my life. Um, But when I was with my father, um, like my biological father, my life was kind of defined by the notion of survival. Um, He was uh, not a great chap in any way, shape or form. Uh, I think the kindest way I can describe him is had he been born 40 years later and had access to the mental health services that we have now, his life could have gone very differently. Um, as that was not the case, um, the world he was born into with the science ahead at its disposal wasn't able to do much for him. So he was not particularly suited to being a parent. Um, so when I was with my grandparents, you know, I learned how to kind of be a child and, and do these things. But I bopped between living with them and living with my dad, who was kind of textbook abusive in a lot of different ways. I think one of the biggest fears that I have as far as just life in general is um, living my entire life without realizing and like trying to like narrow down what makes me happy. I think one of my like life philosophies is, you know, very much do what makes you happy. Um, and as long as it doesn't come at the expense of other people's happiness, you know, figure out what that is right. and go for it. Tell me about your accent and how does a person from Wisconsin <laughs> have an accent? Um, yeah. So my entire family is English. Um, and essentially like growing up, I just country bopped a lot. Um, so I've lived kind of all over the place. I've lived in Hungary and Poland, um, obviously Wisconsin. I've lived in Missouri, Nevada, um, Illinois, like all these uh-huh. different places. So. so out of all those places that you've mentioned, which is the one that brings you the best memories? Um, so probably Wisconsin, but it's not necessarily the place that makes things happy for me. It's the people I'm surrounded by. Yeah. So I think it's, um, my happiest memories are not really, um, like geographically based right. and more about like, Oh, I found connections with people in these right. areas and developed really good memories associated with it. So uh, I think it goes back to like this fundamental basis of, you know, home is where the heart is. And then why'd you leave? The weather. Oh, okay. 
100 percent the weather. Like I, I loved Wisconsin. So you know, geography like, has something to do with it. Yeah, um, like not frigid tundra cold. Um, <laughs> like we used to to make myself feel better. I would you know search the um, the temperatures in Siberia, and a lot of the times we would be colder than Siberia. It's like okay, I, I get really bad seasonal depression. Like I want to die like five months out of the year. I, I can't do this anymore. Like I tried, I tried yeah. everything because I wanted to like Wisconsin really really bad, and it just it wasn't gonna happen. People make you happy. Right. It doesn't have to be a thing during my divorce. It was a thing that made me happy. Mm-hmm. It was freedom. I wanted freedom. Like when I was in therapy, the therapist told me, circle the things that make you happy on this sheet of paper. And I circled like mountains and outdoors and nature, freedom. Um, I even wrote motorcycle circle with myself. Mm-hmm. And she asked me, like, friends aren't on there. Friends, you never circle friends, you never circle family. Like I got a lot of work with it. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, I didn't feel like I had um, the ability to connect with people. I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I have an idea. Yeah. You know, I saw my my friend, a close friend of mine, um, had his heart broken in front of me. And I saw that and I thought to myself, that's never going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. I will never attach myself to a person where that can happen. Oh, yeah. Because I just saw him crumble scared the shit out of me mm-hmm. the, the analogy is you're on a diet of white bread because you're afraid of experiencing sadness because of that you'll never experience happiness so you're just like in the middle because mm-hmm. you're afraid uh you said you'd like to read mm-hmm. so what, what's your favorite genre i I actually genre bop a lot. Okay. Um, so I love um, any sort of like historical book. Um, I do actually, I have a bachelor's degree in history. So um, I do, I, I love learning about the past. I love mushy gushy romances, like uh, historical romance. I know they're garbage. Okay. I don't even care. Um, <laughs> I shan't be shamed for it. Um, love them, love them, love them. Um, but I read actually a lot of fan fiction. Um, okay. So that's really cathartic, particularly as a queer person. Uh, TikTok actually yeah. has a great like book section, like because it's like book talk or whatever, where yeah. kind of indie writers, both, uh, you know, kind of in the queer scene and just in like non-traditional writing spaces are all like, hey, here's a book I wrote about this thing. Yeah. So I've kind of been moving away, more away from like a lot of the internet, you know, sort of stuff that's not actually technically published right, into right, right. like some of these book recs I'm getting from there because they're all actually what I want to read about. It's very, very popular amongst people who are kind of like not included in the traditional narrative of okay. uh, fiction. Right, right. So, um, like, a lot of women write and read fan fiction, a lot of queer people write and read it, you know, um, like, um, it's essentially a way that we can take uh, the shows that we love, the characters right. that we're absolutely in love with, and put our own <clears throat> representation on them. So, um, like, you don't see a lot of gay characters right. in our media. You don't see a lot of people of color. You don't see, you know, a lot of those types of romances that even within, like, straight romances and right. everything, like, we don't see that expressed the way that we want to. Exactly. So fan fiction allows us to take this this medium that we're absolutely in love with, that we're very, very passionate about, and give ourselves that representation and give right. ourselves like that way to 
essentially live out the the, the storylines that we want to see that we're right, never right. going to because in those writers rooms there's very there's no women you know let's be honest right, okay right, right. Uh, it, like when they when they're talking about storyboarding okay like I'm not the the audience that they're going for um, I'm not either. and if they are like if they're like oh we're gonna make a gay show like there's never a gay person in the room when they're writing about it okay there's never a woman in the room when they're being like oh we're gonna write a feminist show or you have like the one that never gets listened to exactly. <laughs> like so then there's that question like well it's fiction. You know, um, there's people that write about vampires. They're not vampires. You know, there's people that write about all kinds of other things. But where is that? Where's the line that where you have to be responsible of what you're writing? The writing, you know, from the p- female perspective um, or from a from a gay perspective. Does a person, should that person be a woman? Should that person be gay? So... No, not necessarily. Um, so there's like a, um, and I don't publish any of my works anywhere. Like if I do, it's with your friends and everything, but I still follow actually on Tumblr. Like there's a Tumblr page called like fandom hates people of color. Okay. Uh-huh. And you get people on there all the time that will like submit asks saying like, Hey, I have this Japanese American character and this is how they look and this is how they represent. And this is what I want that character to be. Is this offensive? Is, am I playing into stereotypes? Am I doing this sort of thing? And this page will respond and be like, okay, as long as you avoid this, this, and this, and this, that character is absolutely fine. You know, right, talk right. to this person, talk to this person. Like if right. you do your homework, okay. If you talk to the people who are going to be impacted by the continuation of those negative stereotypes, if you write that negative stereotype into your character, then no, I don't think there's any problem with it. Right. Um, I think that there should be a heavy awareness, you know, um, especially with like uh, within my community and, you know, quote unquote, my lane. Like uh, if I were to ever write a trans character, mm-hmm. even though I'm queer, like I am very cis yeah. um, and I would want to be very, very careful about that so that it's an organic experience. You know, right, right. I probably wouldn't want to tackle that in my own writing right. because, it, you know, even if it's something I never really publish and whatnot, I don't want to make a trans story about like through the cis lens, you right. know, first and foremost, but also I don't want to mess that up. I don't want someone to say like, Oh, there's going to be representation in this right. book and then have it done poorly. Um, and I mean, I'm not a professional writer, you know, that's, right, that's, right. that's not something I, I have to burden myself with, you know? Yeah. Um, but particularly in cases where there's just not a lot of representation, if you're going to go there, like do it, carefully do right. your homework, right. you know? And, and I, I encourage people t- that are actually like writing to the masses to, to go there. Right. Um, even if it's only for their own, you know, learning and stuff like that. And those works never get published because they realize like, okay, I'm just not going to be able to find that much information. Like right. that's still a good learning experience for you, Absolutely. but make sure that I think one of my things that I would be really cautionistic about from reading, you know, enough stuff written by straight people about queer people is make sure that your intended audience is actually queer people. You're not just writing the, oh, here's the gay person being nice to the straight people so that they feel better about themselves. Like we already have enough of that. Okay. And if you're going to market that, you're going to sell that story. Like don't tell me, don't put it in the queer section. Okay. Like put it in the straight people section. I don't want to read your like self sympathy sort of thing when I just want to escape into my own reality. Okay. Like it's annoying. Right. So what is the difference between gay and queer? So gay is a specific term about like um, a man loving a man. Okay. Um, It's for a while it was used as a basket term for the entire queer community. Right. Um, Queer is 
in some cases, kind of a controversial term. Uh, It was definitely a slur that was used against anybody who was not straight for a while. But um, the community, particularly like, um, you know, a lot of like the millennial community has claimed it as a term that means just not straight. Um, So essentially you can take queer slash LGBTQ plus and use them pretty intermittently. Okay. Um, A lot of people like queer because it, uh, when people, when folks, when you say like LGBTQ plus, okay, right, this right. is this is this perception of like, oh, I don't want to use all the letters, you know, right, right, right. That, like that kind of like triggers some negative things that I just don't want to deal with. Right, right, uh, right. Like I don't want to go into like, oh, well, I'm actually pansexual, and you know, blah blah, blah you know, like right, probably right, right. somewhere on the demi scale, like I don't want to tell everybody. All those yeah, yeah. Like those words are very important to me and right, in certain right. spaces, I'll right. totally talk people's ears off about them, yeah. but it's usually in spaces where I don't want to educate people about right, it. Right, so right. queer just kind of gives me a nice little basket term that says not straight, right? <laughs> Take it as you will. Okay. Like, but you said also you're cis. So cis is a uh, short for cisgender. Okay. Um, so the, uh, kind of, uh, the sister term to that is transgender. So instead of saying like, Oh, I'm not trans. Like I'm like the putting a word on it doesn't mean that the normal is not trans. It's important because it shows like, okay, like I, the, uh, the gender I was assigned at birth, you know, matches the sex I was assigned at birth. Right. So that like, it kind of gives you a way to describe that without defaulting to the quote unquote normal. Gotcha. Um, so people who know that they're not part of the trans community can still use a word and we can specify the difference between transgender experiences and cisgender experiences um, without stepping on any toes intermittently and, and you know, having right. like those words. Right. And that's why I think the term queer is really, really powerful because it just kind of, it's a basket well, term yeah, like that. It's, like it's, yeah. um, you don't get locked into this whole notion of like, okay, well, are you a lesbian? Are you this or are you that? Um, I'd never like people's representation shouldn't come at the expense of another human being's happiness. So tell me about your writing. A lot of the writing for me is, is kind of like a, a form of self-indulgent. A lot of the writing that I do is um, very extreme in emotional you know, build up yeah. and, and whatnot. So I usually get to a point where I'm just like, I'm kind of teetering on that depression and I can kind of feel the beast in the back of my head. Yeah, it's like yeah. ready to kind of take over and, you know, get to that dark place and whatnot. I'm like, okay, I just gotta, I've got to find a way to, to exude this. So I kind of pick up whatever, you know, fandom I'm in that I'm the most obsessed with recently. I grab yeah. some of the characters and I kind of just make them suffer, like yeah. unreasonably suffer for a while. And then, you know, at the last possible moment, make everything okay. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, okay, we're going to suffer but you're going to be happy about it. You know, that, that whole sort of thing. Do you, do you journal? Not really. When I was with my dad, I tried like journaling and stuff. Cause I was like, Oh, that's a good thing to do. You know? Um, and I remember when I was, I want to say like 16 or 17. No, maybe it was a little bit later than that. Anyway, um, later in life, I found, um, one of my journals from when I was like, I want to say 10 or 11. And I read a couple pages of it and was horrified because I was like, oh my God, I don't even realize, I didn't even realize back then how bad it was. And just reading like those couple excerpts, I was like, I don't want to remember this. I don't want to know about this. Like, holy crap. You know, there's like part of that's just been so like blocked out and I'm okay with that. (laughs) um, So ever since then, I've just been like, you know what? I just, um, I just, I don't want to know. 
we'll, we'll find other ways to be reflective. And, um, I don't know, like I could probably start it now because there's nothing horrifying about my life, you know, like it's uh, beyond the, the troubles of COVID. I double majored in history and international relations with a minor in political science. Um, I've debated going back to school, but it's just so expensive um, and I'm already in a lot of student debt. If I wanted to get a master's, like there's not a lot of things that I'm like qualified to get a master's in. Um, and the only way I'd go back is if I could, you know, go into a field that would actually make me a decent amount of money. Cause that's the only way it's going right, to right. pan out and actually make it economically worth it. Um, I'm not super set on, you know, doing one particular career. I think my goal for myself is to make enough money to live comfortably and not literally hate my existence at my job. Like right, I don't, right, right. The, the idea of like, oh, you know, find what you do that, that you love is, is kind of not really a realistic goal for millennials with the economy that we've been shoved into. Yeah. Honestly, like the housing market that we have no access to, like it's, it's ridiculous. Um, pre COVID I had two jobs and that was the only way I was able to be like reasonably comfortable. Right. Um, uh, so I think there are definitely people who are lucky that have, have been able to find it and people who've worked their butts off and had a certain amount of luck that have been able to find, you know, that happy dream job and everything. Yeah. But to me, that's not a, like, there's nothing out there that I think could make me, you know, a ton of money that would just like be worth yeah. the stress of, of trying to do it. And that might change, you know, I might right, find right. like that passion and stuff, but at the end of the day, work doesn't make me happy. Yeah. Like I go to work and I work hard, you know, I, right. I, 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 I give it my all. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, a slough or anything like that, but I go to work to make money so I can afford right. to do things I actually, that make me happy. Right. <laughs> you know, like exactly. I'm here for a paycheck and, and I'm going <laughs> to do the thing. Like I'm going to, I'm going to show up. I'm going to, you know, be a good uh, employee and stuff, yeah. but it is not because I find in so, any sort of inherent, you know, joy or whatnot. Right, right, like, right. Do you ever um, think about going into business for yourself? To make your own business, you need to have a startup, you know, the, and there's there's generational knowledge as well as generational wealth, you yeah. know, that I think a lot of us don't really have access to. And like, I think if it, you know, if I got lucky and I found something that I was able to make money on and everything, I think that would be amazing. But I think the idea of trying to make it like a realistic goal that I can work for is pretty daunting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also because like at this point, you know, essentially all my family is dead. So like if, if, if yeah. I lost my job, if I took that risk, there is literally no safety net for me. Right. Right. You know, it's just whatever I have in my savings account. And if that runs out, you know, it's, there's, there's nothing like, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm couch surfing on fr with friends, you know, and that that's a really great way to put damper on your relationships with people. <laughs> um, and so I don't know. I think for me, it's it's just trying to find something that will economically support what I want to do to where I can afford to retire. I know that that's definitely a sentiment that's mirrored by a lot of people my age, where we just feel so disenfranchised with. Right you know, the, the crazy, crazy richness that we see in like this really, really wealthy, you know, sort of thing. Um, and then there's like us that are struggling with two jobs and yeah. are never going to be able to buy a house. Like yeah. it's just, it's just this unapproachable sort of barrier. Exactly. And then people telling us like, well, if you don't get Starbucks, you know, like, okay, well, if we, if we like, all right, all right, all right, math genius, let's see, that's, you know, five bucks a day. Let's 25. Yeah. That's not going to get me a house. Okay. Like Let me enjoy my damn. It's just like, I have like one joy in life. All right. Like, and, and if I gave that up, not only would I be miserable, I'd still be miserable and poor with no house. So like leave off. Okay. <laughs> if I go, if I do your career change, okay. It is going to be in something where I do not have to work with 
with the general public. Like I can't do it. Like if I'm going to go back to school, if I'm going to like start over and everything, like it has to be something where I can't be exposed to that anymore. Cause it's, it, that's what kills me. Think about it. We live in a society where you can pull out your phone, order your food and it's, it's there in your doorstep. You don't even have to see the person mm-hmm. deliver it. They're expecting that with everything. Mm-hmm. So all of this shit is Jeff Bezos' fault. Thank you for listening to the Podwacker Podcast Show. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. Don't forget, we publish new episodes every Tuesday evening. We'll catch you next time.